We're really glad you're here. If you are a visitor, we're especially glad to have you and hope that you'll be back with us any opportunity you have. We picked a really good day to visit because we've got a lot of people that are out on spring break. So uh, thank you for helping make up some of those numbers. You know, about uh, 2015, I spoke about homosexuality. Uh, I don't know how many of you remember that lesson or anything about it, but uh, that lesson was geared primarily to discovering the truth and the facts of what uh, homosexuality was about from the perspective of those who participate in that activity. As there were lots of lies going around at that time, you know, I, you can't judge me, I was born this way, this is the way God made me, uh, you know, it's all about, anyway, all that kind of thing. The conclusion, I'm not going to go through all of that, but there were lots of statistics and stats and I provided information from the gay activists and their advocates and their promoters and decided the books they had written and a lot of other stuff. Bottom line is, homosexuality is a decision, a personal choice that people make in their lifestyle. And they admit that. Now, maybe not all of them, but the leaders of that movement admit that. It's their personal choice. Nobody's born gay. And at that time, less than 3% of the population of this country practiced that behavior. So that's, that's the two of the points out of that lesson. If you want to review that, it's always available back there. Uh, you know, all you got to do is ask Troy or one of the guys that works at Sam They can run it all for you. And like I said, it's 2015. In light of the events in our culture today and where we see that uh, movement going, I decided it might be appropriate to look at that subject from a biblical perspective. And if you're going to look at that subject from a biblical perspective, what better place to start than Sodom and Gomorrah? You know, uh, this is a long story. I'm not going to try to read all of it. What I'm going to use are pictures and then try to talk about the uh, information provided that maybe those pictures will apply to. So if you want to follow along, we'll be starting out in uh, chapter 19 of Genesis with about verse 16. But as a predicate to that, I might give you a little information about Abraham. Abraham is encamped upon the plains of Mamre. Uh, he's sitting there in the heat of the day in his tent, and he suddenly sees three men standing before him. Abraham immediately recognizes them as who they are. It's the Lord and two of his angels. In fact, he says, my Lord. And of course, Abraham prevails on them, insists that they stay, so that he would have time to prepare them a feast that they can enjoy some time together and food and fellowship with each other. They consent, so he gets Sarah and she gets her 
staff, whatever that is, to start working on preparing the feast. He sends a young man out into the herds to get a young calf and get it slaughtered and brought in and get it prepared. So they have quite a uh, dinner there. My microphone is out, so y'all can't hear me. Joy, check before I came up here. Is it working, Joy? No. I'm sorry. I have no idea what to do with this because I am, as those of you who know me, no, I am not technologically uh, advanced. Maybe that's the word I should use. Uh, I will try to stand behind the podium. Again, those of you that know me know that is, that's going to be a real challenge for me. I don't do well standing in one place. So uh, bear with me and we'll try to get through this. Okay. I'll get a good grill. Maybe I won't go too far. So Abraham's there. He's prepared the feast and uh, they've all enjoyed it. And then the angels and the Lord, the Lord reveals to him why they Sarah laughs to herself, as though she didn't think God was doing that. And he called her out on it. He said, why are you laughing? Do you think anything's too hard for God? And, of course, she originally denies it, and then she, okay, uh, you know, I'm an old woman way past that time. Abraham says the same thing. And God says, that's going to happen about this time next year. So just giving you a heads up. Then, as the Lord and his two angels are about to leave, he asks a question. He wants to know if they should tell Abraham what they're about to do. And then he makes this statement. I know Abraham and he will command his children and his household well, and they will keep the way of the Lord. Can you imagine God saying that? You men in this audience today, do you think God would say that about you today? If he wouldn't, he should, because your primary, responsibility once you become a Christian is to do what he's talking about he knows Abraham's going to do. That you're going to command your children and your household well and keep the ways of the Lord. Because he makes that statement, draws that conclusion, he decides to tell Abraham what's going to happen. He tells him through fixing to go down into Sodom and Gomorrah. For the cry of these cities has come up to him, and their sin is very grievous. Now I'm going to check it out. Well, we know what you're uh, going to find there. Abraham knows that too. We're in 
Genesis about 23 now, and Abraham, because he knows what they're going to find down there in Sodom and Gomorrah, the whole country knows, everybody knows, he starts to bargain with God. And we remember the story, Lord, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Did you do that? If maybe there's 50 people there that are righteous people, are you going to destroy it? Finally, he's down to 10. Abraham knows Lot's family is bigger than 10. If there's 10 there, are you going to destroy it? If I find 10, I will not destroy the city. And so Abraham's happy. The Lord goes on the way with his angels. There's something I want to point out here that we all need to think about. Sodom and Gomorrah are a big populated area, and there are suburbs all around them. This is not some small, this is quite a Sunday. I've got a ladybug crawling on my hand. This is a large group of people here. And God says, if there's just 10, I won't destroy that city. I won't destroy it. Ten. Just ten. How important is it for us to maintain our spiritual foundation and to stand for God, His Word, and His ways? Because if we don't, how long is it going to be before this country doesn't have 10 people. And when that happens, it's over. It's over. Think about that. You and your family are not only important for you and for your family and your descendants, you're important for this city, this state, this country. And I know there's lots of things going really wrong in our land. this morning in worship without fear of our government. Thank you, Lord. So remember that. You are important in a whole host of different ways that we probably never even think about. Let's go to chapter 19 and verses 1 through 3. We see here that the two angels, the Lord didn't come, he sent his angels down to Sodom, and now they are walking up to the gate, and Lot is sitting at the gate. Now, if you didn't, I'm not going to walk around, I'm going to stand here. Uh, if you didn't know the culture of the time, the important men of the city are those that sit at the gate. Lot is one of these men. And that's no real surprise because you see it was just a few years before this that the armies from about four or maybe it was five different cities in that same area of the world decided they were going to come and raid and conquer Sodom and all the smaller communities around them. And they did. 
And they took all the important people. <coughs> they took all their gold and treasure and all their possessions that were going to be of any value. And they took all their young people. And what they were going to do with all those folks, your guess is going to, were they going to hold them for ransom? Were they going to sell them for slaves? I don't know that we really know, but you can rest assured it wasn't going to be pleasant. Well, as they traveled, one of the young men in that group that they had taken captive escaped and ran to Abraham and told him what's happening. Abraham, this is a little idea. Abraham got 385. When we think about Abraham, we think about Abraham and Sarah, and they both got a little group to travel with them, you know, This man was able to take 385 trained men out of his camp and still leave enough back there to defend the camp in case somebody attacked it while they were on the road. Now, I don't know how many people were in Abraham's company, but it was very large. But at any rate, Abraham and his men are on their way down. They find the encampment where these terrorists, for lack of a better term, are holed up. They've got all the captives there. They attack them. They slay them all. And they're on their way back to Sodom and Gomorrah with all the people and all the riches and loot and bounty that those people had stolen. And they deliver them back. And the king of Sodom offers Abraham anything he wants. He says to him, just tell me what, it, what you want, anything, anything you want, it's yours. The worst thing I he said, no, we're not going to take anything. Unless somebody might say we were hired to do this. God did this, and we'll be on our way. Uh, I think that probably put Lot in the group of preferred people in that community, don't you? I mean, he thinks that's a good connection, you know, and they all know it. So, anyway, he's sitting there at the gate. The angels arise. He recognized them immediately, just like Abraham did. And he bows down to the ground and bids them to come to his house so he can prepare them a feast and they can spend the night with him. And of course their answer is no, we're gonna live we're gonna stay in the streets tonight. Lot knows that's not a good idea. He knows what kind of city he lives in. And he knows if they try to stay on the street, uh, there's going to be some real problems. So he prevails on them. He presses them, it's the word used in the scriptures, to come into his house and allow him to prepare a feast and spend the night with him. They agree. So they decide to do that. And then as we go forward with the fourth verse, we see what happens after the feast. And they're all ready to go to bed for the night. The men of Sodom, young and old, from every corner of that community, gather at Lot's house. And they start to raise quite a ruckus. They demand that Lot send these men out that have come into his abode, and they tell him why they want them. Send them out that we may know them. And we know what that's about, don't we? These men of Sodom 
that determine they're going to rape these two new guys. And they don't make any bones about it. Watch people. Don't do this evil with the family. Don't do it. They get upset. In fact, he finally offers them his two virgin daughters. He said, I'll give them to you. Do with them what you want. Leave these men alone. No. Then come back at Lot with the same anger and vitriol that we oftentimes hear today. Who made you judge of us? You can't judge us. Ever heard that from this community? You can't judge us. That's the same, same language today. What is it? 4,000 years later? Doesn't change. People haven't changed. And they tell Lot, if you persist and don't give us these men, we're going to do worse to you than we're going to do to them. Angels pull Lot back into the house and shut the door, and of course it takes the mob outside his door about a heartbeat or two before they start breaking down the door. Because they are determined and they're not going to be dissuaded. Verse 11, we find that the angels smoke the entire mob with blood. And they're no longer interested in breaking into Lot's house. Now they're concerned about finding their way back to their house because they can't see. And the angels turn to Lot and tell him to get get out of this town because the Lord has sent us to destroy this place. So Lot spends the rest of the evening going to his daughters and son-in-laws in town and explaining to them what's fixing to happen begging them to get out and go with him and his, their mom and mother-in-law and their two daughters get out of here. God's going to destroy this place. You've got to leave. And what was their answer? They mocked him. They laughed at him. We're not interested in doing that. You're crazy, old man. Get out of our house. We don't want to be bothered. And they wouldn't go. The next morning, the angels hasten Lot and his wife and two daughters to get out of town because they have not much time left. <coughs> they hesitate, and the angels finally take them by the hand and lead them to the gate and throw them out of the city and tell them to flee to the mountains and don't look back because this city is about to be destroyed. Verse 24, we read that the Lord rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah and all the suburbs thereof and all the plain thereof. He utterly, totally, and completely destroyed this place. Not just the two cities, but everything around them. There's nothing left. All the improvements are gone, all the people are gone, all the animals are gone, everything is now gone. God completely destroyed this place. Why? Because her sin was so grievous in the sight of the Lord. Of course, we know in verse 25 that Lot's wife can't help it, she's got to look back. She immediately turns into a pillar 
of Saul. God shows us what's in store for Sodomites. You know, this sin has been very prevalent in society and mankind from before Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's still prevalent today. We see our very nation here empowering this movement, this sin. We see uh, the press and the internet and all the Facebooks and all, you know, everything, the social media companies. We even see our schools now promoting this behavior. It's everywhere. You young people need to be aware of that because it's coming at you. And parents, you need to know that. It's coming at your your kids. It may have already come out, and you're just not aware of it. Stay alert and know what's happening. But, you know, despite the fact that our government promotes this, the media glorifies it, social media advocates for it, our schools teach it and try to recruit kids into it. Despite all of that, less than 10% of this nation identifies as a gay person or a homosexual. Less than 10%. Now that's up quite a bit from 2015, granted. It's about three times as much. But it's still less than 10%. problem we've got is that the 90% of us that are left don't make a stand. We let it go. When we see it, we ignore it. It's not me. It's not my house. I'll just let it go. Now, I'm not saying we're supposed to get out and get in somebody's face. No, we're not. But we are to make a stand for God's principles. And we are to take advantage of every opportunity we have to possibly bring someone to the understanding of the love of God and what Jesus has done for us. Let's look at Romans 1, verse 24 and 25. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness, to the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. What do we learn here? Those people that will persist in this activity... God's going to finally give them up. And we see that happening around us everywhere. They change the truth of God into a lie. Well, let me ask you something. How many churches do you know of within a two-mile radius of where you're sitting right now that accept, promote, and condone this kind of behavior? You'll think about it, there's a bunch. We have priests that not only condone it, they participate in it. We have cardinals and bishops and preachers and elders 
call church leadership in some of these places that not only turn a blind eye to it, they actually participate in this activity because they have changed the truth of God into a lie. And they've worshipped and served the creature more than the creator. The creature is, that's us. We're created by God. We're the creature created by our Lord and Savior. And somehow men decide that they know more than God. Romans 1.26 For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which was against nature. Verse 27, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust toward one another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense for the error which was mean. affects men and women. And we see now that with what's going on in our culture and our schools, they're trying to get younger and younger kids involved in this activity. Verse 32, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Most of these people know what they're doing is wrong. That's why the reaction when you address it with them, or they even sense that you don't approve of what they do, they go off on you about judging them. You can't judge me. God, God of love. And I love my wife, my husband. The fact that they're the same sex I am is irrelevant. You can't judge me because of that. You heard things like that before? If you haven't, you step out there and start engaging some of these folks, and you will. And it won't take very long. Let's look at Leviticus 18 and 22. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Now that's a pretty harsh word. I know most of you know what that means. Maybe some of these young people aren't real sure about what abomination is. If you look it up in Strong's 8441, you'll see that it's defined as disgusting. God is disgusted with that behavior. God loathes that behavior. It is utterly indefensible. Yes, it's an abomination to God. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. None of these folks are going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
effeminate as homosexual. And don't be deceived. You want them with the same group as the fornicators, the idolaters, the adulterers, the abusers of themselves. They're all put in the same boat. None of them are going to heaven unless they repent of their sins and change their ways. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And he will carry out his judgment against those who are unrepentant and continue in their sin. But there's a bright side to this story too. First Corinthians 6 and 11. Paul says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Paul admits, yeah, we've got folks in the church that were homosexual. They practice this activity. But now, they're washed, they're sanctified, they're justified. They are pure and clean as a wind-driven snow. And you know something else? Once that person repents and obeys the gospel, their sins are washed away, and they are complete and whole in the sight of God. And the Spirit of God that dwells in them from that time forward will help them, encourage them and support them in changing that lifestyle so that they're no longer tempted by that sin. Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus hadn't changed. Just like he condemned this sin from the time it began and he'll condemn it till the end of time. He also through his grace and love for the sinner and for all those that come to him will forgive this sin. Just like he forgives you and I of our sin. Whether you're participating in that activity or not, God will forgive you if you repent and change your ways and through the Holy Spirit he will help you to overcome this sin or any other sin that you may be involved in. Romans 3 and 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's me. I'm a sinner. Sin is sin. I want to say how these things are about sin. We're all sinners. Look at verse 1 and 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, God cleanses all of us of our sin if we confess it and repent. Go to him in prayer. If you're not a Christian, obey his gospel and wash away your sins. That avenue, that opportunity is available for everybody. Every person ever born on the face of the earth, that opportunity is there. 
remember that God's people, we are to hate the sin, but love the sinner. Love will save people. Condemnation and hate will not. If we want to save a sinner, we've got to show them God's love. Before they're going to listen to what we have to say, they've got to understand that we love them and we care about who they are. And there's no sin too great for God. So there shouldn't be any sin too great for us either. We show God's love every time we have the opportunity to interact with someone who has not I don't know how many of you remember James Dobson. Uh, he used to have a program that he kind of took around the country called Love One Out or Love Them Out or something to that effect. It was a program specifically designed to help people understand how to reach those that were participants in this activity, in this community, and to help them come to Jesus. We have to love the sinner before we can reach him. It's irrelevant to God. Sin is sin. You know, lying, passing along rumors, gossip. It's all sin. No special sin. In our mind, maybe some sins more special than others, but as far as God's concerned, sin is sin. To reach the sinner, we have to love them. God loves us. And we're all sinners. God loves you. He loves me. He loves all of us. And we're all sinners. God loves us all. Remember that. Remember Hebrews 8 and 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's God's promise to us and to all sinners everywhere. God's going to be merciful to us. And he's not going to remember our sins and iniquities. Once we obey the gospel, we're a child of God. And we're as pure as the driven This concludes my remarks this morning. I... Uh, I haven't really talked about first principles. The water's here. It's ready. If you have been sufficiently taught and you desire to obey the gospel, it's here. Or perhaps you have issues or concerns in your life that you would like to have help with and you would like for us to pray with you and for you. We're always...